So, for anyone that's not been with us, we are looking at this whole series about Joseph. And one of the things we, it was interesting because somebody mentioned it and we felt convicted of it. The Lord just kind of keeps us in, in check with that, that if we're not careful, we tend to always stay in the New Testament, we always tend to preach the New Testament. And we are firm believers that you cannot understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old. And so after preaching for a while from things from the New Testament, we felt convicted, I felt convicted that we needed to back up and go back into the Old Testament. And so the story, familiar story that many of us have grown up with, the story of Joseph, we are working through the series towards the end of Genesis. It starts in uh, chapter 37. And so we're just on the third week. And we're, looked at, we're looking at this reality meant for good. That we started at the end of Genesis, and we're working our way back, because at the end of Genesis, Joseph got to a place where he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And actually, we looked at the, the poem, The Divine Weaver, because the actual scripture here shows that which you wove, that's pretty premeditated, what you wove for evil, God has rewove for good. And so we began to realize that when we grew up in church and in Sunday school, we made Joseph a great hero of the faith, and he is. But in the story of Joseph, the hero is God. And that's what we're seeing as we work through this series, meant for good. So here's a question for you. See, see, I'm an idealist. Pastor Mike has brought that up many times, and he challenges me on that. He's very much a realist. I'm an idealist. Right? If you're an idealist, it gets you into trouble all the time. Because there are no ideals. And so I found that at a very young age. I was eight. And I was in Cornbrook in the elementary school. And all of a sudden, I can't remember what was done, but somebody did something pretty bad in the classroom. And all of a sudden, the teacher said, well, the person who has done this has to go down to the principal. And I'm looking around, and the person who actually did it used my name. Now, here's, here's how it was said, because this is really my name. Betty Lou did this. Looked. I was in shock. I didn't do a thing. I was that kid. Now, I won't, I, I won't go on about where I was later in my school years, but at that age, <laughs> I was the kid that did whatever I was told. Behaved. I'm first born. Got my list. Crossed them off. You tell me not to do it, I don't do it. And so the teacher looked at me. Then all the friends of this other girl said, yeah, she's the one who did it. And so the teacher says to me, you, Missy, need to go down to the principal's office. And so slowly, very slowly, <laughs> I walk down the long halls. I can still visualize it. I knock on the door, and I go into the principal's office with the note from the teacher. That was before text, texting and all those things. With the note from the teacher, the teacher opens up the note. He goes into his desk, and he pulls out a drawer. Some of you guys remember this. And out comes the big leather strap. Oh, yeah. And we had to do what? And he said it was a double whammy, so I was going to get it in both hands. And I remember getting the strap in both hands. 
But what hurt more than that was my broken spirit and my broken heart. Because I said through the whole thing, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. Then I went home. Mom got the note. And then Mom opened up the note, and I said to my mom, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And my mom said, well, they gave you the strap, so they must have given you it for something. For some reason. And she didn't believe me that I didn't do it. Sometimes in life it seems like we can't get ahead. Sometimes in life it seems like people are out to get us. Sometimes we can even get to a place where we're discouraged and that discouragement can even move into depression. And I have had that time in my life, it wasn't over that, but many other things similar, that you can even have suicidal thoughts. But I want to encourage you today, no matter what difficulties you are facing, God can take it to build your character and make you a stronger person. And he will use you to display his faithfulness and integrity. After an interlude focusing on Judah, and that's quite an interesting story, in Judah, in chapter 38, we now turn back in Genesis to Joseph's story, and we see it in Genesis chapter 39, as Pastor Mike just read some of the verses for us, and I like what someone says, it is a melodramatic tale about a handsome young man, a stupid husband, and a lonely wife. And someone else said, Potiphar's wife was the original desperate housewife. And so last week we looked at the fact that things went bad for Joseph, even though he was God's favor, and even though he was supposed to be heir of the family, the father's favor, I meant to say. Now we realize that he's rejected by his brothers and he's sold into slavery. And now this week we see that he was tempted. Joseph had a traumatizing experience. Remember, he's a teenager having a traumatizing experience. But now he's at a place where he's starting, even though enslaved, he's starting to feel some stability in Potiphar's house. And so we're told that he was sold to Potiphar. And Potiphar was a person of importance in Pharaoh's court. He was an official. We mentioned it a little bit last time. He was the captain of the guard. But the actual word that Hebrew uses here, he was the captain of the butchers. Now, they weren't out cutting meat in the backyard. He was the captain of the executioners. And this <laughs> is where Joseph gets sold to? The captain of the executioners? But one of the powerful things we're seeing today in this passage is the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. I like what Tyndale said when they translated, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a lucky fellow. See, there was something <clears throat> upon Joseph. It was called God's favor. God's favor was upon Joseph. The covenantal favor. Remember we talked about, you need to back up and his, you know, you talk about Abraham and you talk about his father and these promises that were made that in generations to come, we've talked about the fact today, we live for ourselves today. We don't even care about the next generation or three, four generations to come. But in those days, it was about your generations to come. It was about you having an impact, leaving a legacy, and generations to come would serve the Lord. And so promises 
promises are made to Abraham. Though Abraham doesn't see it with the physical eye, he sees it with the eyes of faith. And God makes promises to him. And those promises are so true that Joseph now is experiencing them. And Joseph's, you can see that God's favor is upon Joseph. No matter what comes at him, no matter where he is, that covenantal blessing and favor is upon Joseph. So much so that we're told in this passage that that blessing is so much on Joseph that wherever Joseph is, there's blessing around it. Because Potiphar's house begins to prosper. Think about that for a moment. Just wrap your mind around that. And I was thinking about later on that, you know, when the, when the Ark of the Covenant is taken and stolen, and you'll read about wherever it was in whoever's house, the blessing would be on that house until it was moved on. And so there is this aspect about Joseph, that Joseph is in Potiphar's house, he's enslaved, but God pours out the blessing even on Potiphar's house because of Joseph. And what we find out is that, you know, that Potiphar seems to know it. God had promised to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. So Potiphar recognizes this blessing, and so he gives uh, Joseph responsibility. And then he comes to the place where he gives Joseph his whole household to take care of. So he's Potiphar's right hand man. Potiphar left everything in his charge, but one thing. Potiphar's wife. All of this is yours, Joseph. Manage it. Take care of it as you would see fit. But don't touch that one thing. My wife would have been an unspoken truth. You know, that sounds very familiar to me, doesn't it? Move all the way back to creation and then the fall. Adam and Eve had all responsibility and authority. They had the blessing of God. And God says, you can have all of it. Um, you know, rule over all of it. Except, don't eat the fruit of this one tree. The rest is history, isn't it? And so, my friends, when temptation comes knocking, we see that in this passage. I like what Billy Sunday, the old circuit preacher, said. Temptation is the devil looking through the keyhole. Yielding is opening the door and inviting him in. When God's favor, I think this is an important lesson. When you are a man or a woman of integrity and God's favor and blessing is upon you, beware that people would love to take you down. The attack will come. The enemy would love you to fall. Would love that everything you sputtered from your mouth and your lip, all those things you taught kids in Sunday school, all those times that you told people trust in God, all those times, he would love you to fall in such a way that it would, he would try to negate everything that you said for the Lord. We've seen it happen to TV evangelists and people in very high positions that they have fallen terribly. And the enemy would love us to fall. You need to guard your heart, my friends. You need to stand firm in your faith. And so Joseph goes through a time of testing as this temptation is knocking constantly. So James tells us, God doesn't tempt us. Did you hear me? Say that to somebody. 
God doesn't tempt us. Say it to somebody. God doesn't tempt us. God doesn't tempt us. Now, God can allow times where temptation can be used for a time of testing. Here's the difference. You can read the beginning of the book of James. He's very clear on the difference between temptation and testing. But just in a nutshell, as we don't have time today, a temptation is being enticed to invite you to sin. It's inviting you to get further from God and things of God. A test is being that God is entrusting you to overcome it, to be stronger, and to do well through it. And so we see, though temptation is coming, God is using this as a time of testing for Joseph. I like what somebody said. What doesn't break you will make you stronger. And so everything went well until Potiphar's wife takes note of Joseph. We're told in Scripture that he was very well built and handsome. And so she says to him repeatedly, come to bed with me, come lie with me, whatever version you have. And she tries to seduce him daily. Did you get that? Daily, he's being seduced. And Joseph continually refuses her advances and stays clear from her. I love what we're told here. This is where you can see Joseph is a man after God's heart. Because Joseph, first of all, says to her, why he says no to her is your husband has trust me with everything. Why would I do such a terrible thing to you? Then he gives a second reason why he will not listen to her or heed her temptations. He says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Do you realize that this is before the Ten Commandments? This is long before the giving of the law. This shows us that this young man is walking in covenant with God and has a relationship with God and he will not sin against God. My friends, when temptation comes knocking at your door and get young people, what it is ultimately is not a good time or a fun thing and nobody will know. It is a sin against God. And we know better. We know better. Because we've been raised around it. Those who don't know, they don't know. Their families will do things that your family will never do. Because they don't know. But you know that. And he says, no, I won't sin against God. I just wanted to do a bit of a sidebar. Because even though the message today is not so much about facing temptation, I think we need to take a moment and just visit that. I like what somebody said. When you're facing temptation, you need to do, there's three things that we can learn from God's scripture. He says, learn from Eve. Don't believe the lie. See, temptation starts here, usually between your two ears. It starts right in your mind. And so since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been waging a battle for the mind. And he uses lies. Remember, he is the father of lies. And he masquerades as light. So you can see the compromise and the way he'll get you to reason things. And he said to Eve, remember that, when he said to Eve, did God really say that? God didn't say that, did he? And so the devil attacks us by tempting us to question God or to question his word or to question his goodness. 
And so the enemy will come to question us. And so temptation, my friends, starts in the mind. And so you need to be careful not to listen to the lies. Then we learn from Joseph. There are times when temptation is just knocking and knocking and knocking. And you need to run. <laughs> you need to run. There are situations that people put themselves in that they should never put themselves in. If you are in a situation that is tempting, say, very nice to see you, but I'm out of here. No amens to us? If you need to be rude, you be rude. Because your relationship with God is more important than what anybody else thinks. You get yourself out of that situation and you run. I remember hearing people who were happily married people and a uh, workplace romance starts. Oh, my husband has no time for me. My husband doesn't listen to me. But this one at work, he's easy to talk. And before you know it, all of a sudden there's just a casual dinner together. You run. You don't entertain. And when you're put into situations that will cause you, you're tempted to sin, you don't put yourself in those kinds of situations. You run. And then praise God, we learn from our Lord Jesus Christ when he was tempted. We use God's word. Jesus met Satan's temptations with scripture. He said, go away, Satan, for it is written. Now, I'm not very good at quoting scripture. It's very good to learn scripture and to quote it, but that's not what we're talking about here. Just quoting scripture does not cause the enemy to run. Because, by the way, the enemy knows scripture. And he misuses it and abuses it. You have to live the Word of God. You have to obey the Word of God. It needs to be a lamp to your feet. That you walk in it. And you use the Word of God. And the enemy has to flee. So we can learn that in the places of temptation, as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, God makes a way for us. All of us. He makes a way out. That we will not be tempted more than we can bear. That this time of testing will make us stronger. I like this story. A man had a two-story house. He heard a knocking at the door. And he found Jesus there. And Jesus was there and he said, Jesus, I want you to come into my house. I have a room for you up on the top floor. Go stay in that room, Jesus. Again, in the middle of the night, he heard a knocking. And when he came knocking through the door, he opened up the door just a crack. And it was the enemy. The devil was there. And the devil came in and fought with him all night. He kept screaming, Jesus, help me. Help me, Jesus. Where's Jesus? Jesus isn't there. He battled all night and he sent Jesus. And he sent the enemy out through the door. He finally got the door shut. So he says to Jesus that next morning, Lord, I was calling you. Didn't you hear me? Jesus says, well, all you gave me was a room in your house. And he says, well, Lord, let's do this. You have the top floor, and I'll have the bottom floor. Jesus says, okay. See, Jesus will not go where he's not invited. Did you get that? So Jesus has the top floor. He has the bottom floor. You can understand what happens because the Lord was knocking again in the middle of the night. The enemy is there. He opens it up a crack to see who it is. And he pushes himself in and he battles with him all night long. And he cries out, Jesus, Jesus, come help me, come help me, where are you, Jesus? 
And finally, he gets him out through the door and he slams that door shut. Now he's getting angry. And he says, Lord, the next morning, I don't understand. I called on you again and called on you again. And you didn't come and help me. And so Jesus says, he says that I need to be in your whole house. And he says, well, from now on, you know, I, can't, I can't just have you on the top floor. I need you in the whole house. And so he says, the whole house will be yours. The whole house is yours, Lord. I give you everything. My whole life, my home, everything. It's all yours, Jesus. Well, you know, in the middle of that night, the devil comes knocking, but guess who swings wide open the door? Jesus stands there in all authority and victory. And Satan says, oh, I guess I'm at the wrong house. Billy Graham put it this way. When Satan knocks, I just send Christ to the door. When Satan comes knocking, Christ is so much my firm foundation. He is the Lord of my life, of my comings and my goings. He is the Lord of my past, my present, my future. He is my Lord. That's what, my friends, holiness is all about. It's Jesus has the whole house. And so when Satan comes knocking, when Satan is wanting to find a place in, I remember promise keeper saying years ago, Satan wants to put handles on you so he can steer you around. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. That God has made a way out for us. And so we see now as we go back to Joseph's story, he is falsely accused. Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. Joseph stood up to temptation. He was a man of godly character. God's favor is upon him. He's a man of integrity. What are you talking about? He should be awarded for being good. No problem should come knocking at his door. That's not what we expect to hear, you see, what happens next in the story. We're told all of a sudden Joseph finds himself alone in the house. You see that the writer of Genesis is trying to make a point out. He was in a home where there was all kinds of servants and staff. So what it is is a setup, my friends. So she sends the staff and sends them all out because she's determined that day she's getting Joseph and she's going to have him. So much so when they're left alone, she grabs hold of his cloak and even tries to force him to lie with her. And that's when I said, what's important to do, Joseph runs. He runs as far away as he can get from her. But she frames Joseph. She lies about Joseph. She tells her husband when he finally comes home that he was making sport of her and trying to rape her. Now I want you to hear the story. Joseph is innocent. Did you get that? Joseph has done nothing wrong. Joseph has kept his integrity. He has kept, he is a man of faith. He is a part of God's covenant. He is a person with God's favor upon him. And he is lying about I, I would like to tell you today that a, as a pastor, almost 35 years, that I would say to you that I've never had anyone gossip about me, that I've never had anyone lie about me, that I've never had anyone put a knife in me and turn it. My friends, it's not true. That's the big wake-up when we're off at Bible school preparing for ministry. That's why a lot of pastors aren't in the pulpit today and leave. Because somehow we swallowed the lie that if we love the Lord and we're doing everything right, everything is going to 
It's not my friends. But I'll tell you that everything I went through was a time of testing to see if I would not give up on the Lord. And my faith is stronger today because of it. And I believe your faith is stronger too because of it. And so here's what we don't want to hear. But this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Joseph ends up in prison. Joseph ends up in prison. Potiphar responds with burning anger, but many believe that the burning anger was not against Joseph. Guess who it was against? His wife, because he's been dealing with this for years. Now you're laughing at Pastor Wayne for five years yesterday for us. But this poor man, that's why we said this poor man at the beginning, I think he knew what his wife was like when he wasn't home. And I think this was a probably something that she had done repeatedly, but this was different today because Joseph, a Hebrew slave, was brought into the home. And he says, no, I will not sin against God. And so she's out to get him. And I think Potiphar is burning with anger because he knew when Joseph was in his house and Joseph was in his care, God made him prosper and made him blessed. And now he's got to get rid of this Hebrew slave. And so he could have taken him out back and had an execution. Killed on the spot to make a point. He doesn't. He puts him in prison. And he doesn't put him in any prison. He puts him in Pharaoh's political prison. And so that's one of the reasons why we can see that he is angry. But even in that, God is caring for Joseph. So Joseph ends up in prison. But I want you to get this point, my friends. God was with him in prison. And so four times in this chapter 39, though we don't want to hear this lesson... We are reminded that God was with Joseph. This is, you meant it for evil, part two. You wove evil against me, Potiphar's wife, but God is reweaving it for good. See, here's the problem. This is what we've been knocking against today. If I do the right things, only good things should happen to me. There's the idealist. If I'm a person of faith, if God's favor is upon me, because I'm part of the new covenant, I'm a part of Jesus Christ, and his blood was shed for me and I've accepted it, then nothing bad should ever come knocking at the door. Our theology is wrong, my friends. That's not what it says here. And they say that often Christians come to faith because that's how we've presented the faith to people. And the moment the problems come knocking at the door, they walk back out the church. And it's not that the gospel and the faith is wrong. It's what we've presented. That we just want to believe that if we know God and do everything right, then only good will happen to us. And it's the wrong conclusion. It's a hard lesson to learn that when we do even the right things, there are those out against us, and the enemy is roaring around. 
Joseph's integrity and faith cost him greatly. And he did the right thing, and he still faced hardship. But you know the difference? He faced it with God. Not hearing too many amens this morning. He faced hardship with God. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. That no matter what the world and the life tried to throw against Joseph, it would not change his relationship with God. I'm sure he had times when he said, God, why God? I don't understand. I'm sure there were times when he got angry about it. I think that's fine because the psalmist talks about that. Even David himself wasn't impressed when things didn't go as he thought it should go. But the truth of the matter is no matter he was questioning sometimes, God, I don't get it. I don't understand. His relationship with the Lord was intact. And he knew God was with him. And God's favor was so upon him that nothing and no one could prevent God's blessing upon Joseph's life in every situation he found himself in. And God brings his plans to fruition through what appears to be the most devastating of circumstances. Did you get that, church? God brings his plans to fruition through what appears to be the most devastating of circumstances. But we need to remain faithful. God fulfills in Joseph the promise he made to his grandfather, I will bless you and you will be a blessing and I will be your God and you will be my people. My friends, the truth of it is for us, we've heard this, we say it at Christmas, we have it on our cards. Oh, a sweet little baby in a manger and there's a cross and we'll put Emmanuel God with us. And I realize after preparing for this message, we haven't really understood what that meant. That whatever we face in this world, Christ is with us. What did he promise his disciples? His last words as he commissions them. And I will be with you always. And in that night, that dark night, when we have to leave this world and enter into that world eternal, he will be with us as the good shepherd and will walk us through that dark valley of the shadow of and we move from life here into eternal life. Hallelujah. He is with us. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, just like God was with Joseph. Jesus, even more so now, the Holy Spirit, God is not just outside of us, God is now inside of us, and He gives us the comfort and the strength and the reality to know that we are not alone. God's favor, my friends, if you are in Christ, the covenantal blessing is upon you as well. And God's favor is upon you. But, notice in this story, it was Potiphar and the prison warden that was able to trust Joseph with everything. Here's a challenge for us today. Are we trustworthy? Are we people of such faith and integrity that those around us will be blessed because we are people blessed by God. Think about school. Think about your place of work. Think about where you volunteer. There should be a fact that you are so full of God's favor and God's covenantal blessing and you're in such a tune with God 
And people will look at us and want to know about our faith. Because we are his and he is mine. But we must be people who live a life of integrity and character no matter what comes knocking at our door. Now I want to say something very clearly and I need to make it known in the sound of my voice today. If you have sinned, there is an advocate. Deal with it. Take it to the cross. Take it to Christ. Have it cleansed by the blood. And start fresh. I have to say that. Because scripture has made that known. If, notice it's not the norm, a life of sin. For those who are in Christ, if you sin, if you fail, if you fall to temptation, deal with it. Bring it to the Lord and be set free. And be renewed and refreshed to be able to start off again in a way that would honor Him. As I close, I ask the worship team to come. Gold. I was thinking of gold and the refiner's fire as we think of this testing that Joseph is going through. And gold is one of the most valuable materials on earth, and it has been used for centuries for money. But gold has a lot of other uses in the industry, manufacturing and even space flight. One of the traits that makes gold so useful is that it can be shaped and formed so easily. In fact, one single ounce of gold can be flattened out to cover 300 square feet. Did you get that? I've watched when they make that gold in the sheets. I forget the name of it now. How they pound that and pound that and pound that. All that comes from one ounce of gold. But gold ore dug out of the ground contains many other elements that must be removed prior to the gold being useful. The refining process for gold involves intense heat. Gold melts at a temperature of almost 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That incredibly high temperature is required for gold to be ready to be used, to be refined. And my friends, today, the Christian life involves much of the same process. Sometimes we are surprised when bad things happen to good people. But the scripture tells us that the fiery fries are part of God's refining process of our lives. Rather than brightening and complaining when trials come, we should rejoice as we think of the end result they're going to produce in our hearts and life. I think God needs to change our prayer life. I've been challenged with that. Lord, take me out of this circumstance. Lord, this isn't fair. Lord, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, come to my aid. Lord, fix this. Maybe the Lord would say, maybe you would do okay to pray, Lord, despite the circumstances, move in my life, change me, prepare me for this, make me stronger, make me more like Jesus. That's what we all do. That lines up with this. That God is wanting to give us the power that is needed to face anything in his name. And be reassured today, no matter what you're going through, what you're facing, God is with you.